Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. This episode is brought to you by Untapped, the Untapped store. Use the coupon code podcast to get 20% off your next purchase. Good morning, guys. I'm John, and I've always wanted to drink beer from a stovepipe. Not really. I don't think anyone's ever said that before. Hopefully, I'm the first. <laughs> um, but stovepipe cans, or you may know them as tall boys, they've been around in craft beer for a while now. I think most people would credit Oscar Blues debuting the can in uh, Great American Beer Festival eight years ago in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the goal of a stovepipe? Hopefully we'll figure out or talk about it a little bit here on this episode. You can kind of view it as a replacement to a bomber or a 22-ounce bottle. It's economical for a brewery. Um, and really, there's a lot of beer in one can. Harrison, <laughs> what's in our stovepipe today? That's right. So we're going classic and enjoying Stone's IPA, uh, their <laughs> flagship. So. The beer that built Stone, or one of them, I guess I should say. So I'm excited to, yeah, and uh, check this out. Um, some quick, uh, quick hits about it from the brewery itself. So beer's name is Stone IPA from Stone Brewing, of course. It's an American style IPA. Comes in at 6.9 percent ABV, 71 IBUs. And there's, as with most Stone beers, a nice long story back here about it. But in summation. Uh, by definition, an India Pale Ale is hoppier and higher in alcohol than its little brother Pale Ale, and we deliver in spades. Now one of the most well-respected and best-selling IPAs in the country, this golden beauty explodes with citrusy flavor and hop aroma, all perfectly balanced by subtle malt character. Um, and they also note, and I've seen written many places, that hops in here are Magnum, Chinook, Centennial, possibly some others, but enough about that let's get in there it looks like john you already have what's uh let's do some first sips what are you thinking what's happening i i love when you intro the beer harrison normally it's it's the it's the first thing i want to do uh when we're when we're recording a podcast is taste it and it's been a while so uh for me it tastes right drinking this beer it tastes like 2012 maybe even 2010 it's it's a proper bitter I get pine. I get a little grapefruit. Um, you said Magnum, Chinook, and Centennial. Yeah. Perhaps it's changed. This beer's been made for a while. But this beer tastes like going back to when IPAs were bitter and sometimes scary. Um, mm. And it, it's, it's comfortable. It feels good. It feels like, you know, like the first time you were like, oh, my God, I like IPAs now. Um, let me stop rambling. It tastes, it's lighter than I thought at 7%. It's, it's a little bit, it's, it's light in mouthfeel and in, in carbonation, but it's got that punch, that piney, we'll say yeah. dank bitterness, 71 yeah. IBUs, and you can, you can feel it in here. This is, oh. this is, this is a grown man's beer, a grown person's beer. My apologies. Ah, uh, and I just took a couple of hits here from the can. Um, <laughs> Why not? But it's, yeah. Ooh, it is so... I knew I was going to get excited when we grabbed this. It's been a while since I've had this beer. But first sips are, as you said, dank, piney. It's very light-bodied, but that just makes the hops like jump out even more. 
um, which is what I was hoping for. I was hoping it's going to be just a big kind of bitter punch in the face, which it pretty much is. And as we've spoken about on many of many a podcast, kind of nowadays, harder and harder to come by just old school West Coast IPAs when that's kind of what I grew up in quotes, uh, learning, you know, learning about beer by drinking crazy West Coast IPAs. So this is awesome. And it checks all those boxes that I hope. And it really does feel, you know, like a bit of a time machine. You're kind of stepping back to a time when this was the, the question was, what can be more bitter and not like what can be hazier and crazier? Yes, we were talking about uh, you and I the other day, like remember when you you would see that beer uh, get released from a, a number of breweries and they'd be pushing for 100 IBUs. Yep. And yeah. it, I don't know scientifically if I could taste 100 IBUs, <laughs> but I know coming in Stone IPA is bringing the heat in this beer just, you know, just like it is five years ago and West Coast IPAs are prized for their clean, bitter finish. Yeah. And when we look at the BJCP style guideline for American IPA, which is uh, 21A for those following along at home, the overall impression uh, is it should be a decidedly hoppy and bitter, moderately strong American pale ale showcasing uh, modern American or new world hop varieties. Uh, The balance is hop four with a clean fermentation profile, dryish finish. Uh, clean supporting malt, allowing a creative range of hop character to shine through. So that's really like, no surprise, an awesome description for many reasons. First of all, I mean, I think it's kind of like right in line with this beer. It is true to form, very pale and light in color, kind of like a straw happening, uh, color happening, but um, but also super hop forward. And with like American hops, you know, the hop character, it can range. I'm like, I'm glad that doesn't say should be piney, should be grapefruity, should be whatever. Cause when you're hopping a beer like crazy with, with these kinds of hops, it could be any of those things and I'll be correct. I'll be, you know, in line with what you would expect an American uh, IPA to taste like. So this is, you know, perfect, perfect alignment in far as what I'm tasting and what I'm reading about this beer uh, from the BJCP. This is and no surprise. I mean, you could really argue that this beer may have influenced that description the BJCP uses <laughs> for what an American IPA is. Uh, uh, it's been around uh, since, I believe, 1997, if not a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, 97, this beer from them. So, hot dog. Yeah, and, I, and, and it's, I mean, it's, you could, this is a beer, I think, it, you can, you don't have to try hard to find Stone IPA. It might not be as prevalent is like bell's two-hearted right but all of them in that category uh the category you just kind of walk through uh for bjcp uh stone ipa bell's two-hearted uh firestone's union jack like those are like classic it's the most checked in beer style on untapped is the american ipa right and it's it's largely because it's it's accessible to everyone and it's delicious man it's really good. I love the dry. It's not just, and this is something I guess we should say for me, I love these beers, not just because they're super bitter, but also because the ones that I really like, they also finish very tr- dry, which accentuates that bitterness. So it's almost like a two different kinds of bitter 
experiences just punch you in the tongue. It's it's got that you know easy to find definable hop bitterness, but the dryness almost just you know sucks the air out of your mouth too, and, and makes it even more bitter and intense. So I love that. That's what it's doing. And that was the old kind of joke about an IPA is the bitterness, you know, makes you want to take another sip to cleanse your palate of the beer. And then the bitterness returns. You want to take another sip. It's that never ending circle that, you know, eventually ends with the beer being gone. And then you switch to a lager <laughs> or a porter or whatever. And you've got to get out of that little loop you're in uh, if you want, or you just keep riding the, the loopalin terrain all night and until it comes off the rails, that's up to you. But, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, I knew it when we grabbed it, I was expecting this and it delivered and that's, that's really cool. And that happens and it in doing so takes you uncovers memories, thoughts, experiences right now that again, that like dry bitterness, it's something special. And I'm, 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 an, I'm going to keep drinking because it's my, I'm parched a little bit from the bitterness. Here we <laughs> go again. I, I would imagine if you're judging a bunch of these beers back to back, it, it, like that's where the term palate fatigue yeah. probably originated. Yep. Maybe not, but drinking this beer and then comparing it with another beer of a similar makeup and style, there's the bitterness in here is it's unrelenting. Like yeah. it does. It makes me want to grab a, a piece of cheese or yes. if I can be honest, some Doritos, um, mm-hmm. but like yes. it makes me, it makes me want to eat something. And that bitterness should do a really good job kind of cleansing your palate. Yeah, so you don't get too cheesy or or too hoppy. There you go. Right, that nice dance, the dance of the the cheese and the hops. I can get down with that. Something, right? Sorry, (laughs) something, a play, maybe an opera. Um, What is that Italian? Somebody tweet us cheese and hops. Right, that'd be a thing. Uh, Andrea Um, Bocelli. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that yeah, you're just paying to watch someone eat cheese and drink beer. That just make me sure. I'd like to be the restaurant next to that theater, make a lot of money. (laughs) Um, but <laughs> something else to note about Stone IPA that if you read any you know articles with Greg from Stone kind of talking about this beer, um, it does not have Cascade hops in it like on purpose. It kind of long story short, Sierra Nevada's pale ale was like taken off, which, of course, features Cascade hops. And, and they were like, we don't want to do that. We want to do something a little bit different, but kind of entice those fans of that beer to kind of see our version of it and so um so they don't have any any cascade in here if you're you know the grapefruit we're getting is definitely coming from the centennial and the chinook um and maybe a bit of the magnum but that was a cool a a conscious decision they made was like to kind of to not do even at the time was kind of obviously exciting to be brewing like hop forward beers in the 90s but not a lot of people were doing that to at that exciting moment kind of pick their own path and say we're not going to use this hop everybody else is kind of falling in love with we're going to try and define stone's own space in the the kind of bitter i american ipa world and did so with this beer and with some some hops that just weren't uh as popular as as cascade was at the time so i know it's something they really kind of pride themselves with and as they should it's an awesome combo i chinook is so cool it's such an aggressive like bitter dirty earthy hop that also has like a little bit of grapefruit in there so this is i'm getting all that right now this is a this is a blast and so one of the things we we picked this beer out for many reasons if you see stone ipa on the shelf uh if you think about it like i do most of the time you think like all right i'm familiar with that beer i want something new 
and I don't think anyone can blame you for that. But I'm always amazed when we go back to one of these kind of core beers, you know, how I'm, I'm, you, you're just like instantly like, damn, this is like drinking with an old friend or drinking an old friend. Uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons we picked it uh, is because we wanted to talk about stovepipes yeah. on this show, which is coming up in, in, in just in a, in a couple of minutes on Beer 101. But uh, Harrison, uh, we talked. I talked about it a little bit in the intro, but from your uh, experience, what do you think of when you think of a stovepipe or a tall boy can? So this right here, this is the perfect grill timer for a bunch of burgers. <laughs> That's what this is. This is it. One That's of these, right? You crack it when you drop the burgers on the grill, and when you're done with this beer, you know, flip it halfway through. For the burgers halfway through the beer, when you're done, the burgers are done because it's. It wasn't this beer. It was actually. Uh, it was. Uh, BFD, I think is what it's called. Beer for drinking, beer for drinking yeah. from Sierra Nevada, which is like a 4% golden ale that they did a couple of years ago that only was available in stovepipes. And that, that summer, it was like clockwork. If we were doing burgers every Friday, it was grab the BFD, burgers on the grill, crack it. When it was gone, I was ready to you know serve dinner to everybody. So that's what I think of first Um when I, I look at this beer is it's a it's a natural barbecue timer for for burgers. Obviously, you know, depends on your grill. Know your grill well first. That's step number one of any great barbecue-er is know your tools and your instruments. But uh, you can get it dialed in to make it work with uh, with the stovepipe right here. I, I don't doubt it. Uh, what about you, John? Do you have any kind of thoughts or experiences when you look at a stovepipe? What do you what comes to mind? Yeah, usually um, it's I love your idea about using it as a grill timer <laughs> is perfect, man. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, for so many reasons, that's perfection. Um, when I look at a, a stovepipe can, my first thought is like kayaking or going mm-hmm. for a hike because I'm usually, you know, I'm going out of town. So I'm stopping at like the last gas station before the dirt road <laughs> and I'm looking for right. like founders all day or. Uh, dogfish does sequench uh, something in a tall boy can that I can just shove into a backpack, yeah. maybe grab two of them. Yeah. It's kayaking. It's fine. Right. Um, but I, I it, it makes me kind of think of like going on an adventure. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of fun to be had with that. And I'm going to use that poorly to transition into one talking point I have before we get to beer one-on-one, which is untapped announcements. And so from Mama Untapped, those of you that watch the show and follow social media, uh, should have been yesterday, you saw we're announcing our first European beer festival. Hey, Harrison, if you're French when you go into the bathroom and you're Italian when you come out of the bathroom, what are you when you're in the bathroom? European, John, of course. (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty sure I learned that joke in 1992 and I still love it. Back of the bus. Um, so outside of, of, of poor jokes, uh, Untapped's <laughs> launching a virtual European beer fest. Uh, tickets went on sale yesterday uh, and end on November 2nd. The festival is going to be a weekend, uh, November 15th, sorry, 14th and 15th. Mm-hmm. And the way it's going to work is we're partnering with beer merchants So those of you that listen in the UK or in areas of Europe should be familiar with them. There's three different 
boxes of beer you can elect to purchase and follow along with this festival. Um, there's like hoppy, there's a hoppy box. There's an adventure box. Uh, I don't, I don't, don't quote me on them. Go to the links in the show notes. <laughs> if you're in Europe and you're available to get a shipment from beer merchants, um, you know, Greg's going to be there. There might be a special guest spot for me and Harrison as well, virtually, because mm. Uh, that's cheaper than getting to Europe. And honestly, I don't even think I'm allowed there right now. Right. <laughs> um, but check out the notes for the show, especially for those of you that listen in Europe. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm jealous of all the beers that you guys get to drink over there. Yes, Jack's Abbey is going to be participating. Ooh, cool. They're one of our favorite breweries from last year's Oktoberfest. Other half. If you haven't heard of them, pretty big deal. Other half's going to be participating. Oh, yeah. But also like Lervig, uh, Omnipolo, Puala, one of my favorite, some of my, all my favorite breweries. Um, and so there's going to be some really cool beer. Beer Merchants is going to link you up with the beer. Untapped is going to put together uh, a big virtual event, just like we did here in the States back in June. And I'm really excited. I'm jealous that I won't be able to get most of the beer, but I'm really excited uh, to kind of see some of you guys from across the pond and, and drink a beer virtually with you. Likewise, it's going to be a blast. Tickets on sale, guys. Go check it out, and we will we'll see you there. You know what it's time for now, Harrison? I think I do. It's been long enough. I should know when you say that, that it's time to put on yeah. my thinking cap and finish up your stovepipe. That's right. We're talking about packaging, Uh, In this Beer 101, it's the ninth in what's going to be our 10-part series. So we're getting close to the finish. And kind of chronologically, you know, we started with the ingredients that go into a beer, what you do with those ingredients, how long should you leave it in your closet. And (laughs) now it's getting to the point where you might want to package it up and give it to friends. Or you might be curious, you know, where's the journey for getting that beer to the grocery store shelf? Right. So this beer 101, the theme is packaging. We're drinking from Tall Boys, and I've got Harrison on the block with five questions to answer from your experience as a brewer and your experience as a drinker. Mm-hmm. Well, Starting so with, yeah, it's a it's, it's the ninth episode, which kind of makes it a little bit scary. But uh, <laughs> we've only got one of these left, and I've loved this series. But we're at the point. So the beer is leaving the brewery. Yeah. My first question naively is how, what's packaging look like at a brewery? Is it like a special, like we always package on Wednesday and wear your cool shoes. It's going to be a really <laughs> exciting packaging day. Or is it, is it kind of part of like business as usual? Yeah. Uh, great, great question to start. Cause it's at different breweries. It's been a different experience. The first, uh, production brewery i worked at it was pretty much we bottled every friday and that was kind of all hands on deck if you were doing sales you did get it done early because you had to be at the brewery at you know 11 or noon or whatever if you weren't doing sales get there as soon as you can to make boxes and move pallets of empty bottles and and so on and that the that was at thimble island really in like the first year they existed so it was like early days and we were kind of self-distributing uh, scaling quickly so it was it was sustainable to just kind of bottle everything um on a friday but it really was kind of like an all hands on deck situation we were getting new pieces of equipment like almost every month where we would add it to the 
the bottling line. So like, and then uh, like almost each time you came in, you were like learning how to do a whole new <laughs> thing, whether it was like a depalletizer, which is how you get the bottles like off the pallet into the actual bottling line. We got a, like a, I think it was like a 12 head bottle filler, which is they're huge. Um, that was like an amazing piece of machinery. And when we got that whole experience, I was there the day we set it up like the first time and ran all the tests. And it was like, looking at like a, it was like nasa's test stuff is all these robots in there and lasers and sensors and you gotta you know x y and z it was wild it was you know the book to like the game with the instruction book was amazing it was you know a hundred thousand pages long probably and not even just just in english it wasn't even you know like <laughs> like the one for your you know chair that's in 20 languages and it's still only about five pages so anyway moving to neshemany creek though when i got there they were kind of more um uh, they were already in four states and had a, a lot of demand. So it was pretty much every day you were, we were, it was every day you were either kegging something, bottling something or canning something. And honestly, they were some of my favorite days, packaging days for a lot of reasons. If I was on the packaging team, um, I was either, you really only have two roles and it's kind of making sure the cans are filled are filling properly or the kind of, more grunt work of when the you know the cans come off the line and they need to be packed into a case you're doing that and then moving kind of cases onto a pallet to be wrapped and shipped so it was very like the whole system was obviously very automated and and a lot of those days i kind of felt like a robot where i was really just doing like three things again and again all day just kind of like put this here pick it up turn around put it down put this here pick it up turn around put it down and do that for hours so we we just make the best of it though. It sounds monotonous, but it was it was awesome, especially if you came from like a month of doing cellar work or brewing, where it's a little more, um, I guess, mentally exhausting. This one, you still obviously had to be super aware. Spatial awareness is like it's really important to brewery with, you know, forklifts zipping around and people handling chemicals and stuff all the time. You want to know what's going on, but it was one of those days where you could kind of crank up some awesome '80s hair metal and just kind of just zone out and, and zone in at the same time at a, what you were doing, um, you know, which is really just kind of a couple of tasks at once in repetition all day and try to get done as quickly as possible. Because usually on packaging, when you were, when you finished your line, you were done. So if you kind of could power through it accurately, maybe you got off a little bit early that day to go to the tap room and then drink a lot of the beer you just you just can. So it's a, it was always a blast. And I was lucky to be in, on that shift with a lot of cool people too, where it was just kind of, it was just fun, a lot of podcasts, a lot of music, and then nice. uh, kind of, yeah, packaging a lot of beers, which is, uh, yeah, it's always, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's great. It was very enjoyable, but again, for a different reason than maybe any other job you had at the brewery. And so, um, I mean, that, that kind of takes away like, the joyful glee of like Christmas day packaging day at a brewery. But, um, but I think that's a much more realistic explanation of how it works. And Uh, another, this might be kind of trivial, but if you're listening to this show, you know, at least you can get beer out of a stovepipe can, mm -hmm. uh, a 12 ounce can (laughs) or 16 ounce can, a 750 mil bottle, a six little keg, a half barrel. You can get growlers and crowlers and six packs and variety 12s. What type of thought goes into, are there, if you're a brewer, you're just like, I'm doing cans, 
I like cans better. Is right. it a, a decision like based on the beer? What is it? Is it just we have cans left? Let's use it. What type right. of thought goes into what you're packaging? Yeah. Into? Sure. That's kind of a wild web and I'll, I'll try to give the short version of it because you're right. I mean, for us, when I, again, when I got there already, there was already demand. So really at that point, um, at Neshemany Creek specifically, uh, they, um, you know, we had a bunch of distributors and they said, Hey, we need X, Y, and Z amount of all these beers by this day. And so we kind of built our production schedule on what was already kind of needed in the markets we were in and then again did they need draft did they need cans was you know are we doing a cool bottle release out of the tap room like all of those decisions were made um above me and really like outside of our control like if our ipa was flying to new jersey then it was you know i need five pallets next week or you know and okay or as soon as you can get them to us and great when it comes to early decisions though about kind of like cans versus bottles and why do cans we did mostly cans uh and at that time it was because they were cheaper than bottles and there were a lot of businesses in the u.s startups really that were built around that kind of providing for smaller breweries that were growing access to cans where you didn't have to buy like a million at a time you kind of you know grow it would grow with you um and so there was just more flexibility when it came to the can market and suppliers and partners that we could find in the that were creating cans and doing um and wrapping them before we we with the labels before we got them so cans was an easy decision also it's really the preferred vessel i mean we've talked about this before but it's it's it'll keep your beer fresher longer than a bottle will um uh, most most of the time uh that's a whole other discussion though <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah so and then okay, yeah but really demand it was kind of like you know what is needed is it draft is it cans and we let the market kind of we got to a point where we're very lucky where the market kind of told us how much we needed of each, you know, vessel filled and could just fill those orders and get it done. And so, I mean, that's already like kind of more clarity. Again, I'm viewing this mainly from a drinker, a beer buyer. Right. And uh, I'm wondering like, is it like a dartboard where it's can or bottle? And I, I, there's, probably some breweries out there that do that and i want to visit you on packaging day Um, (laughs) but so far at least in recent memory canning seems to have kind of become the favorite for most craft brewers nowadays and you're right like it's it's light sealed it's good to sit on for a while it fits on a shelf easy yeah so when it comes to canning um what is it like is it just like on how is it made where there's just a line of cans running down and there's beer flowing in and you just seam a lid on the top of it. Is it, please tell me it's, 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 there's like, there's more nuance than that. Yeah. There's many more places where you can make a horrible mistake that takes up half your day. Um, like, right. Like moving those cans from the, the pal, the floor just in storage into the depalatizer and doing that through a forklift at Shemini Creek, the, the 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 palletizer was right next to about a like a uh, a room that was about a foot higher than the room we were in that had a you know a, just a slope up to it like a you know whatever forty degree ramp and you would have to go in there with a forklift and scoop them up and get those cans down that ramp into the palletizer without all of those cans 
falling on the ground, um, which it's 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 happened. It happened all the and it was to no fault of the. Sometimes it was just you know the hydraulics and the forklift would like bump for some reason, trying to calibrate because it sensed it was going down a slight decline, and then it would try to jerk up, and then you'd have like ten thousand cans fall on the ground. So that happened. Not a lot. There are ways around it, but every once in a while. When you saw some guy, you know, not do what you were supposed to to secure the cans because he wanted to get on there quickly, everybody kind of stopped and went, "Is he doing this?" And half the time it worked, half the time it didn't. And then we <laughs> you just kind of heard like the kind like it was like metallic snow or a metallic waterfall in the back of the brew house, and then someone, you know, uh, holy cheese and rice, yelling out loud, uh, a lot of a lot of colorful language. So lots of cheese and rice. Anyway, um, yeah. That didn't happen a lot, uh, but that was right. It's kind of some of the things that's always in the back of your head of like, if that happens and that's 40 minutes now of everyone's day, like you're 40 minutes behind and like you're messing up the next shift. So there was always that kind of urgency of like, be as perfect as you can be. Because uh, Canon had a lot of small moving pieces like that, like an element where you had to get the cans into the, the palletizer first. Um, and you really had to do everything in order in order for anything to, to happen. So it wasn't like you could do that later and I'll start filling the cans that don't exist yet. Obviously, it had to happen all at once. So, um, yeah, but but yeah, so you sanit- put the cans into palletizer. You got to sanitize the cans. Then you fill them. You lit, you put the lid on them. Usually you'd have a FOB, which is called a Fomon beer, uh, FOB. It stands for Fomon beer. It would shoot a little CO2, which is a hose. It shoots a little CO2 into the beer right after it's filled before the lids dropped on it to kind of shoot some CO2 out of this, that beer out of suspension so that if there was any like air or oxygen sitting on the top of that beer, the CO2 and the foam would knock it out. So before you put that lid on, it was just beer and CO2 in there. It's a really cool process to see, but it's like very simple. It's just a little hose that shoots a little bit of foam out of the beer. Um, so that happens. And yeah, yep. Can't yeah, lit it, seam it. It goes into what's called a pack text. So those really cool, uh, plastic can holders. Everyone, I'm sure, knows you get a four pack or a six pack, and they, what, what holds the can together. Most are made by a company called Packtech, uh, and they like that's a cool machine that just slides across the tan the cans and slaps it on at once. I was lucky to have one of those. If you're if you've watched any brewery on Instagram that's starting out, you probably see them posting images or videos of five guys at a table with a bunch of single cans slapping on Pactex in person. That's very real. Uh, but there is a machine that also does it. Um, so <laughs> and then grabbing that, you know, four pack or six pack and throwing it in a case and stacking it. So again, there's there's a lot of there's more to that. There's that's kind of the quick high level of it. But yes, there's again lots of little moving pieces where kind of all has to be going right and in line and you're constantly measuring, you know, is this beer full enough? Is this flowing correctly? Is there any air in the lines? There's it's a, it is a lot to manage. I you know, um, if you are the person really in charge of the canning line, but if you're the guy grabbing the cases and stacking them, that's the day when you're like, whoo, put on the Eddie money. Let's just hang out and chill. Um, but yeah, so it's a lot. It's just a lot of moving pieces, like a lot many things else in the brewery. But um, uh, but at the end of the day, right, you are essentially just filling it and and seaming it and. Uh, with with a whole yeah. bunch of nuance and room for error, somewhere right. in the middle of that story, I was reminded of a, of a saying I learned in the military: uh, "Slow is smooth, smooth is fast." And there you go. I, I envision like the same thing. Like, look, man, yeah. we need to go fast, but if we make a mistake, we're all going to be working late tonight. That's right. Um, 
which is like it's it's a delicate battle of, of probably every moment of most people's lives, uh, which is why we all need to drink beer. That's right. Um, Stone and pipe the, beer. The, exactly. Give me the, the big biggest ones. You've got. I think right. I think we should we should try to rename this, John, like the, the like a 2020 small or something, like a stovepipe. <laughs> Stephen, get that to trend. This is just dealing your minimum. size. The dealing, <laughs> the dealing with 2020 size. That's right. Um, oh. Yep. I almost thought I wasn't going to make it through the whole thing in a, in a quick show, but uh, here we are there getting we are. towards the end of my beer. <laughs> yeah. I've still got another question for you. You kind of cool. touched on it um, when you said like Instagram posts of a whole bunch of guys just like slapping those can holders. I mean, I, I, I have them in my fridge right now mm-hmm. and I'm not too proud to say that's the biggest pain in the butt of grabbing a beer out of the fridge when it's in that six or four pack holder i gotta grab the whole thing and and kind of like wrestle it away like i'm on the bomb squad right Uh, but i'm grateful that we now have switched to like plastic friendly ones that i can recycle and aren't going to go into the ocean yep anyways a little rant good um our last show for beer 101 the next one that we end up doing is going to be about marketing yeah and one of the things I, I think of for marketing is like beer labels. We've mm-hmm. talked about it before. I mean, there's brewers I can think of that, you know, their art jumps off the shelf and you can yeah. recognize it like a Wes Anderson film, sure. Stone Brewing, The Gargoyle. Yep. And I always kind of envision like that's the intern job. Like we just can <laughs> 150,000 beers. Half of them are pale ale, half of them are IPA. Don't mess it up and wrap right. the labels on them. Please tell me it's a little more organized than that for for most people. Yep, yeah. I mean, for us, we all the beers we got, they uh, they came pre wraps. We had, you know, I think probably about six flagship beers, and then we had, you know, uh, you know, seasonals that we obviously planned in advance so we could get the artwork out to, um, you know, the our, uh, the company that was actually wrapping the cans with the the labels itself before we even got them. So yeah, we were fortunate most of the time that's what was going on. Now we did a lot of brewery only releases and limited releases and stuff too. And so for the cans, what we did was we also would bottle um, a lot of our barrel age stuff. We, um, we would grab the labeler from the bottler and kind of like hack it into a, a labeler that worked for cans, which worked okay. It was like 60% of the time it worked all the time. It really, you know, like, cause cans. That's, a, that's another military right, thing. That, yeah. So, cause cans can sweat. Like it's, it's very seasonally dependent, which is maybe something you don't think about being in a building inside. You Maybe you think you control your own environment really you don't you're always at the mercy like the ambient air and so um yeah like a lot of the times if we were canning and trying to label something on the spot in the summer you you fill the beer first with the actual liquid and then you because otherwise the labeler would crush an empty can because it's pressing a sticker up against it if it doesn't have beer in it it's just going to smash it um, so it needs to have beer in it. And that beer is, is like 28, 29 degrees. It's very cold. As soon as that, you know, hits the air and you seam it, it's going to start sweating. So, and the labeler was literally the next thing it hit. Um, but sometimes it would just get like, you know, if we're doing it for the middle of the day, uh, it would just start sweating and stickers would not stick or fall off or flip or get crimped. So those were a lot of the times, those were like some of the best days to work at a brewery because you would get a you know 20 beers with horrible labels on it that were perfectly fine you could grab and take home that night um so you know the the kind of a little bit of crumbs for the 
the guys in the salt mines actually making it happen. But, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So you could, you had the flexibility. We did anyway. You still had to obviously get that artwork out to a printer and they had to get it back to you. So all of this requires lead time, but luckily so does beer. So, you know, when you make a beer, you're waiting at minimum 16 days before from brewing it to packaging. And it's usually longer though. So you usually have enough time from the day you, you know, drop that recipe to be like, all right, this is what we're making. You need to design it. And by tomorrow or at the end of weeks, so we can get it out to this guy so they can make it in time. So all that has to, you know, a lot of planning goes into this, um, especially if you're doing a label art each time you make a beer. But of course, as we've all seen, there are plenty of breweries that have kind of like a cool taproom series generic label. They can throw a name on that kind of frees yep. you up a little bit. Um, we didn't do that while I was there. Everything was very much like, actually, it shouldn't anything we can. We never did for something we canned. There were plenty of stuff that we knew was going to be draft only that we, you know, didn't need to worry about a label. Um, but anything that was good and canned, it was very well thought out. Although um, since then, like most breweries, uh, Neshaminy Creek's kind of cranking out even more new stuff. So um, and canning a lot of it right now. So they've yeah. also kind of adopted that universal label for a lot of their beers just to, and it's, it's great from production side to be able to, again, not have, you know, the printer gets sick or the artist on vacation or again, all those things and kind of break down in your, your system not to worry about it. No, I can just throw this label on it and print out something. No, that, that looks makes nice. And yeah, and yeah. you're good. It, you put your brewery's brand on there. It's recognizable and you, and you eliminate some of yep. the variables that might slow you down because I, I, I said this already in this episode, you know, sometimes I just want a beer that I haven't had before. Sure. Um, I've had plenty of good ones, but you're always kind of looking for that next, um, that next, next, thing, sure. next beer that you have. I don't know. It's, it's, it's what makes it fun for me. At least you Absolutely. chase your own journey. <laughs> um last question for you harrison yeah um and i just want to talk about home brewing right like if you're a home brewer and you've got a canning line and a labeler good on you sell sell your beer um, yeah. you've already spent <laughs> too much brewery, money on right. it you're someone <laughs> someone that you love is mad at you about <laughs> wasting the whole tax return on a canning line um so what about homebrewing? Any advice or, or kind of like special things to look out for when I'm taking that uh, glass giant bucket out of my closet for the first time since I've remembered it was there and I uh -huh. want to put it in cans or bottles probably right. for Christmas presents? There you go. So, yeah, if you're putting it in bottles, I would say don't do that. Get some corny kegs because the bottling of or invest in some really great comfy knee pads because bottling homebrew beer. <laughs> the first time I did it, I didn't even think about like the kind of physical tax it would take. And this is a 20 whatever year old me. It is kind of hunched over late on a Friday night doing bottle by bottle and just I still remember like how much my back was cramping and being like I can't stop like I've created a siphon of this beer into this bottle like racker I need to go till it's gone there's no breaks for me um so so yeah it's a it's an arduous process it's great uh because you're you're bottling your own beer and that's exciting um but I would recommend as soon as possible kind of moving to keg. corny kegs or, or kind of like soda kegs. It's what soda used to be served for. Now it all comes in kind of, if you're at a restaurant, like plastic bags usually is what's hooked up to that soda machine. But yep. it, used be, yep. it used to be aluminum kegs um, called corny kegs, Cornelius kegs. Um, and uh, 
that's the best way to go. Get a kegging system. It's not as crazy as an investment as a canning line either. It would definitely be much more reasonable and easier on your back and your knees. If you're going to bottle, though, and give it out for Christmas presents, that's really cool, too. Quick pro tip, get 22-ounce bottles, not 12-ounce. Cut your time, work in half, basically. Uh, fill up bombers. Um, and then you're probably being told to use some kind of priming sugar to before you bottle those beers. To carbonate them, you have to, have to add some new sugar to it to reactivate that yeast so that it makes CO2 again into the bottle. We've talked about this before. Doesn't need to be just corn sugar or table sugar, though. I've used maple syrup. I've used honey. Really kind of like anything fermentable within reason um, scoop of grape you know, jelly right yeah i wouldn't do that but who knows <laughs> uh, maybe you discover the next slushy thing or maybe you make some weird fungus that blinds all your friends <laughs> hopefully not that um but uh, victory brewing uh, so moving away from brewing quickly victory they're really they're known or it is known anyway by some people that um they use a lot of their belgian yeast which is in golden monkey uh and a lot of their other kind of belgian inspired beers uh to can and bottle condition almost all their beers even if it's not a belgian beer that's how they're getting kind of that awesome you know mouthfeel and great carbonation you experience drinking victory beers from a load of belgian yeast shooting in there and just taking care of a carbon that thing up so there are many ways to do it but really just mentally prepare and physically prepare if you're going to bottle for that experience. You know, overall, as always, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew and invest in some kegs because you'll your back will be happy. And it's also cool to just be in your house and pour a keg, you know, draft your own beer. It's a very, like, I don't know, it's a, it, you feel like you're standing on top of a mountain. You've just kind of conquered something great and are, and, and, you know, mastered old world, you know, you created something right yeah new technology all all together right your oatmeal's alive and now it's you know making this rerun of snl even funnier than than it (laughs) it was originally i i think that's probably incredibly sound advice uh as i myself am aging uh do less work but enjoy your home brews as much as you can that's right and so i'm gonna wrap up uh this episode 23 Uh, I want to let you guys know that the next episode you're listening to next Wednesday is about pumpkins, or in this case, pumpkins. Uh, If you can still find it, look for Dogfish Head's Pumpkin Ale. It's the second most checked in pumpkin beer on Untapped this year, and we're going to be drinking it on the next episode and talking about all things pumpkin. Quick reminder, this episode has been brought to you by Untapped in the Untapped merch store. If you're feeling up to it and you want to buy a really cool hat as a Halloween present for yourself, yeah. check out store.untapped.com. <laughs> when you find something you like, use that coupon code podcast and it'll save you 20%. Wonderful. And as always, show notes for this episode will be available at podcast.untapped.com or untapped.com slash podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or feedback, please connect with us. Uh, with Untapped, rather on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, directly with us on Twitter at That Beer Podcast, um, and then also directly on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash drinking socially. That's our group, open to all. A lot of awesome posts recently. So we're getting to kind of the, the beer drinking weather, if you will. Um, a lot of cool things going on there, which we'll cover a little bit more next episode, I'm sure. But other than that, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Cheers. Uh, cheers.